So we'll start in just a couple minutes. I'm going to give uh, Councillor Yarbrough a few, uh, couple minutes to come in. Good evening, everyone. I would like to call the February 7th, 2023 Longmont City Council study session to order. Um, as a reminder, this meeting can be viewed live stream at www.longmontcolorado.gov and also on our YouTube channel, www.longmontpublicmedia.org and on Comcast channels 8 or 880. Let's uh, have a roll call, please. And here comes Shakita. Mayor Peck. Present. Councilmember Hidalgo Faring. Here. Councilmember Martin. Here. Councilmember McCoy. Present. Mayor Pro Tem Rodriguez. Here. Councilmember Waters. Here. Councilmember Yarbrough. Here. Mayor, you have a quorum. Thank you. Let's stand for the pledge. Um, so we have right now uh, public, I'm sorry, public invited to be heard just as an FYI. Anyone wishing to speak at first call public invited to be heard will need to add his or her name to the roster outside the council chambers. Only those on the list will be invited to speak at the first call public invited to be heard. And each speaker is limited to three minutes and we need you to state your name and address. Do we have any motions to direct the city manager to add uh, agenda items to future agendas? Councillor Waters. Thanks, Mayor Peck. Uh, I move reconsideration <clears throat> of direction gave, given to staff in the last study session to form a naming committee to consider renaming streets or other entities in Longmont. So that's been uh, reconsideration for renaming streets within Longmont has been made by Councillor Waters, seconded by Councillor Martin. Um, we have discussion. Uh, Councillor McCoy. Thank you, Mayor Peck. I think uh, I'll be voting against this because I think that uh, the people of Longmont uh, uh, are interested in this, and I think that uh, it shows a sense of uh, being uh, uh, proactive than reactive. Councillor Martin. Whoops, Councillor Waters. Thanks, Mayor Peck. Um, without arguing the merits of the motion, um, <clears throat> I, would, I would make this observation. Having represented Ward 1 for five years, I've never had a constituent in Ward 1 express a concern about the name of their street. That said, 
um, in, the, in the last three meetings as a council, we've given direction to the staff uh, to not, I guess, estimate, but get a sense of the cost of developing a capital project, um, the dome. Um, we gave directions to staff to bring back, which we'll talk about tonight, um, the creation of an ethics committee, and we'll unpack whatever that's gonna go tonight. And then we also give, gave direction to the staff to come create a, a naming committee. Now we have on March 10th and 11th a retreat. Uh, we've been waiting for a couple of years actually to get into a retreat so we can talk about what our priorities are. Uh, which are the big ones, which are the small ones. And it seems to me before we give any more direction to staff to create more committees to spend more time uh, to solve problems that, that we might see but no one else in town has identified, it seems to me that what we ought to do is take a moment and pause, give us a chance to get through the retreat, decide what the priorities of this council are, and then make a decision whether or not naming committees and renaming streets or other entities in town is a high enough priority to be on that list. Because I have a pretty idea, pretty good idea that the big ideas on that list are gonna occupy a fair amount of the staff's time and of the council's time. So the case for me is maybe we wanna do this. I think the timing is wrong. I think we ought to, we ought to get real clear on what our real priorities are and then decide where does this fall in relationship to other priorities. Councilor Martin. Thank you, Mayor Peck. Um, in addition to um, the points that Dr. Waters made, which I think uh, are valid, um, as, as the unofficial social media lurker uh, in the city <laughs> or on the city council, I note that this has not been well received by the public, that um, it gets mentioned every time somebody complains about red light runners or um, parking violations or almost anything. Uh, it's like the city council has time to change the names of the streets, but it doesn't have time to fix whatever it is they're complaining about. So um, my, I, I think the suggestion that it be uh, considered uh, or retaken up after the retreat when we understand what our workload is a lot better. And I think tonight's agenda, study agenda is gonna help us a lot with our workload, as, understanding our workload as well. Um, I just think that that would be a better time to, to discuss the matter. Councilor McCoy. Thank you, Mayor Peck. Well, we, with all due respect, I think that uh, after the uh, name changing that the state did of uh, um, Mount Evans to Mount Blue Sky, I think it uh, deems that we should be looking at this sort of thing. And I think that uh, it shows a sense of tone deafness that if we don't consider that. And I know it's easy for folks, you know, to uh, give flippant answers that we should be doing this, that, and the other thing. And, uh, you know, instead of name changing, but the issue here is, uh, is only for discussion and for uh, the uh, uh, community to uh, come to that conclusion. So that's my hope that we uh, in uh, presenting this. Seeing no other um, counselors that on the, in the queue, uh, let's vote. Oh, yes. Okay, the motion is, um, yes. The motion is to reconsider having the staff do research on streets within our city that the names could be changed for consideration. 
Yes. Uh -huh. Okay, let's go. So that passes with um, Councillor Martin, Councillor Mayor Pro Tem Rodriguez, Councillor Yarbrough, and Councillor Waters in favor, and myself, Susie, Councillor Hidalgo Fearing, and Councillor McCoy uh, against. Are there any other agenda items? Seeing none, we'll move on to special reports and presentations. Um, we have a proclamation about Mount Luther King Day. It is uh, a proclamation designating the month of February 2023 as celebrating black history, uplifting the community through the world of art in Longmont, Colorado. I made a mistake. It is not about Martin Luther King. That was last <laughs> proclamation. Whereas the month of February has received national recognition as Black History Month, and whereas in 2017, the Boulder County branch of the NAACP was established to champion justice and eliminate discrimination through action, advocacy, and education. And whereas the Boulder County branch of the NAACP is celebrating its annual Freedom Fund, a longstanding tradition that brings together community supporters to raise funds to support the operations of the local branch, and whereas the arts have always been an important expression of black culture and history, shared and emulated worldwide, and whereas African-American musicians are underrepresented in formal ensembles, despite a deep musical tradition rooted in the bounty of the African landscape. And whereas the Boulder County branch of the NAACP is honored to extend an invitation to all to attend a performance by the premier National African-American Wind Symphony an ensemble compromised, comprised of 65 black classical musicians on February 19th, 2023, during the annual Freedom Fund. And now, therefore, I, Joan Peck, Mayor, by virtue of the authority vested in me, and the City Council of the City of Longmont, do hereby proclaim the month of February 2023 is celebrating black history, uplifting the community through the world of art in Longmont. Good evening, everyone. I am Madeline Strong Woodley, and I am with the Executive Committee uh, for African American Cultural Events, as well as our Boulder County Branch, NAACP. And I am here to accept the proclamation, but before I do that, I'd like to share with you some of the things that's going on uh, throughout Boulder County, and particularly in Longmont. We are um, featuring the arts, as we often do, and uh, highlighting our young people and supporting our young people and uh, in various ways. This year, 
We are celebrating them through storytelling, through reading. We have uh, sculptures, we have artists. There are seven exhibits that exist throughout Boulder County, including Lafayette um, and, and several others. If you go to the website, you'll be able to, I won't take your time, you'll be able to see exactly what's happening. And please, please come and support those efforts, uh, particularly those for our children. The Longmont Library, Longmont Museum, there are particularly some great, great activities that's gonna be going on for the children. Uh, in addition to that, one of the things that I'm most impressed with is we have an internationally acclaimed sculpture. And um, of the son is uh, holding sculpting classes for the youth. And so that's something that I know as, as a kid I didn't get exposed to. I would love to, 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 to have done that. I would have loved to have done that. So that's special. And then we are bringing in uh, featured Nibol Bior. Out, uh, she's originally out of Sudan. She's a children's book author. Mm. And um, she will be here uh, on the 17th and on the 18th. Like I said, if you go to the website, I'm pretty sure Adriana has it posted. And if you just go there and uh, you can know about all of those kinds of details. And then um, what Mayor Peck just talked about, uh, um, the Nashville African American Wind Symphony is a 55 plus piece professionally trained group of musicians that are coming and they will be here the morning of the 18th. They will be performing at Mackey Auditorium uh, on the 19th, that's that Sunday, the 19th at 3 o'clock p.m. Doors will open at 2. And it is the only group of its kind in the world. And it's the African American Wind Symphony and they are some kind of special. It is a semi-formal event, um, but we'll take you however you want to come. Uh, and uh, we ask that you would register. We really, really need registrations to, to really go in. The branch has really spent an, an amount, enormous amount to make this happen, but we give it back to our community. Every other branch of the NAACP uses this opportunity as a fundraiser. This is all free because it's our way of giving back to the community and educating. We operate off of our uh, five principles, and that's E-Case, and those five principles are education, celebration, tribute, solidarity, and service. Uh, education being the first, and it, uh, that was not by accident. That said, I would, uh, I'm honored to accept uh, the proclamation uh, that has been read by Mayor Peck. And I'd like to accept it in the name of Milen Villard. I hope I got that right. <laughs> Milen is uh, an unbelievable um, contributor, hard worker, uh, professional, that just, yeah, she's a nonstop 24 seven in support of the community and contributing on every level that uh, is conceivable. And with that, I'd like to ask her to come to accept the proclamation. Great. 
And to register for this, you go to NAACPBoulderCounty.org. That's correct. That's correct. It's uh, Eventbrite. Uh, you, the Eventbrite there. Uh, I'm going to leave these, some of these out there. Mm -hmm. Great. And um, the kids, I, you know, I'm kind of, I guess, ancient because I was passing out this paper. And they said, oh, no, I can just take a picture of it. Okay, <laughs> so I'll leave some out there for you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, my name is Milan Villard. I'm a longtime member of Boulder County and a core member of Boulder chapter of Showing Up for Racial Justice or B-Surge, as well as a member of the NAACP Boulder County branch. Um, it is such an honor to be receiving this proclamation from the hands of Ms. Madeline Woodley. Um, there's an amazing black woman who has been fighting tirelessly for civil rights and racial justice, and we are so lucky to have her in our midst. Um, so um, there is indeed a black history in this country. It was not built on slavery as its white counterpart, but despite it. And yes, it, was, it happened many years ago, but we're still feeling its effects today. And so it is good to remember black history every February and to celebrate the courage, the generosity and labor of black America for all she has given us, all of us. However, violence and racism against black people still remain an everyday reality. And we have to do everything we can do to stop that. So let's not forget that black history is our white people's history too every day, every year. Um, this proclamation is a true honor and an affirmation of my commitment to keep fighting for truth and racial justice. Black Lives Matter, thank you. Thank you. Would you like to have a picture? One more, sorry. So, we gotta get the proclamation. Thank you. We're now at our uh, study session item. Oh, no, we're not. Yes. Mayor Eugene May, City Attorney, uh, I, I need to clarify some parliamentary procedures. So the motion to reconsider takes you to the point in time right before the vote was made on the motion to direct staff to 
bring back a name forming committee. So you need to act on that motion because right now we, we've just, or city council has yes. moved to reconsider the vote. So. And, um, and thank you, Eugene. And I would like to um, make a point of order as well that I should have brought up immediately, but didn't in that we were told last meeting that um, this part of the agenda was only to direct the city manager to add agenda items, not to make motions to uh, at all. Am I correct on that or am I not? Uh, Mayor and Council, the Council Rules of Procedure provide, except for motions to direct the city manager at a study session, you shall take no formal action. So because this was a motion to direct the city manager, I think it would be proper at a study session okay. to, to reconsider this. Okay. So do you want to make a different motion then? You're reconsidering it. Now you need to make a motion that you, if, if you want to make that motion. I don't, I don't think, I don't think it's up to me to make the motion. Just, just to clarify, by the way, I did check with council before coming and bringing the motion because it was a study session. But because we gave direction during a study session, it was the time okay. based on discussion with council. Just so you know, it wasn't, it wasn't random. Uh, I don't think it's up to me to make the motion. The, there's, a, I think, a motion on the floor that was already made at a prior meeting. It was the motion that council member McCoy made. Okay. That, that, that lefts, is, is left without a vote. So, um, Councillor McCoy, would you like to restate your motion that you made previously? Thank you, Mayor Peck. The motion that I made previously was to uh, uh, have a committee, uh, have the city uh, come back for a discussion on a, on a uh, name, uh, naming committee for, you know, city streets and things like that. That was all it was and I thought we would have a discussion at some later date uh, or on some, at some count, regular council meeting. But if uh, if it would be more appropriate to have that uh, discussion at our study at our uh, uh, retreat, I'm open to doing that. And then at, uh, to Councillor Waters' point, maybe that would be the better time to discuss that. So I do believe you ha we have to vote on the original motion again, and then we don't. Do you want to withdraw the motion or table it? I'd prefer to table it. Okay, I move. I move to table the motion to uh, a, a time specific uh, like the retreat. Okay, do I have a second for that? Second. All right, that motion to table his previous motion to have the staff bring back a naming committee has been table has been made by Councillor McCoy, seconded by Councillor uh, Hidalgo Faring. I don't see any discussion. Let's vote. My computer just went blank. No. Nope. There you go. It's, it's just is not my night, I've decided.
So that carries unanimously. Thank you, everybody. So now we're at public invited to be heard. Uh, just as a reminder, state your name and address, and you have three minutes. First one on the list is Elliot Moore. Good evening, Madam Mayor, Council, and people of Longmont. My name is Elliot Moore. I am the music director and conductor of the Longmont Symphony Orchestra. Uh, our office is located at 515 Kimbark Street in Longmont. Longmont needs a dedicated space for the performing arts. We have a vibrant local performing uh, community ranging from vocal groups to ballet and rock to bluegrass. The Longmont Symphony Orchestra regularly fills Vance Brand Civic Auditorium with audiences of over 1,000 people. We are grateful to be able to use Vance Brand Civic Auditorium as it is the only venue large enough to hold the full orchestra. But Longmont seldom sees world-class traveling acts, as artists of this caliber tend not to perform in a high school. Um, if our children don't experience the high level of art and music that we all dream of here in Longmont, many will grow up without knowing it. And for some, a life-changing experience will be missed. I represent a consortium of musicians, business owners, and community leaders who care about Longmont and want to expand the cultural offerings here. We proposed a public-private partnership where we commit to raising $35 million. The city's commitment would be a bond issue of $45 million, and the combined sum of $80 million would build Longmont's Center for the Performing Arts. While a tax uh, would be required to secure the $45 million in bonds, no tax would be levied until our consortium raises the whole $35 million. We ask for five years to do this, and if we don't raise the full amount, there would be no tax. I know you are considering bond issues to fund Longmont's many needs, and our group of donors wants to do our part to ensure that a center for the performing arts is a need that will in fact come true. I kindly request that the city council members please consider our proposal when making your decision. I've brought some allies with me tonight. Will all of our supporters please stand? In the coming weeks, watch for more information about the incredible benefits of what this center promises to be, including presenting world-class performers from many cultures and genres performing here in Longmont, a fitting home for Longmont's local performing groups, the promise of social equity and inclusion for Longmont's children through free and low-class, uh, for free and low-cost access to the arts, uplifting the local economy by infusing outside dollars into Longmont through a vibrant art scene and helping Longmont's primary employers be able to recruit the best talent. Thank you for listening, and I sincerely hope that music, art, and culture will play an ever-expanding role in Longmont. Thank you. Thank you, Elliot. No clapping. Thank you. Um, Brett Sloan is next. Good evening. My name is Brett Sloan. I live at uh, 2307 Tyrrhenian Drive. I represent the Longmont Pickleball Club and all the local players, and I'm here to highlight the need for more pickleball courts in Longmont. Currently in Longmont, there are six dedicated permanent courts 
at the Hover Acres Park for approximately 1,000 pickleball players with a city population here of about 100,000. By way of comparison, Loveland has 18 courts with a city population of approximately 77,000. Court availability isn't just a quality of life issue. It's also a city revenue issue. Attracting out-of-town players and keeping local players in town means additional purchase lunches, coffees and snacks, revenue for city businesses, and sales tax for the city. Many pickleball players play two to three times a week and frequently travel to other cities where court availability is assured, spending money outside of Longmont. The Longmont Pickleball Club has been working to ease the court availability crunch in town by taping temporary courts on the concrete at several city parks. Uh, the skate park area and the adjacent ho uh, roller hockey rink at Clark Centennial. The roller hockey rinks at both Left Hand Creek and Willow Farm. The Parks and Recreation and Senior Services Departments have help, helped us immensely by furnishing temporary nets and storage lockboxes. But these are temporary setups with gorilla tape for our court lines. Uh, the 2023 Parks and Recreation budget provides 15,000 for renovation of Clark Centennial, Left Hand Creek, and Willow Farm Parks, money to be uh, shared among the parks. This money is sufficient for minor concrete repair, painted lines, and permanent nets in the skate park area of Clark Centennial, and painted lines at Left Hand Creek and Willow Farm. Certainly welcome improvements, but more is needed. Uh, the Longmont Pickleball Club has put forth a proposal uh, to the parks guys that the two tennis courts at Clark Centennial be converted to six pickleball courts. The tennis courts at Collier Park are set for a complete renovation this year as a normal course of their renovation. And an opportunity exists to combine this renovation with the proposed court conversion at Clark Centennial and could potentially save some money by kind of piggybacking. Um, conversion of the tennis courts to pickleball courts would yield a total of 14 courts at Clark Centennial and open the way for uh, local tournaments and larger events. The Parks Department has estimated that this conversion would require an additional 20000 over their existing budget. I humbly request that the City Council appropriate an additional 20000 for the Parks Department this year. Thank you. Thank you, Brad. Steve Altshuler. Hi, my name is Steve Altshuler. I live at 1555 Taylor Mountain Drive. I'm not going to have time to get through all this, I'm sure, but there are three reasons that America, Colorado, and Longmont are as great as they are, and three reasons why we've had a huge, why we've had a huge decline in the past few years. First is the Constitution, the one that all of you and everyone in Denver and Washington, D.C. have sworn to uphold. Our Constitution is the foundation of free market capitalism. Capitalism has taken more people out of poverty than any other ism. Marxism, socialism, um, sorry, I'm losing my notes here. Capitalism, sorry, got messed up there. In 1620, people signed the Mayflower Compact. This said that all 13 families on the Mayflower would combine everything they grew and every family would receive an equal share. Within six months, half the families 
quit working because they realized why work hard or even work if you still got the same amount of food. The pilgrims quickly ditched this effort of socialism. Socialism didn't work then and it doesn't work now. Paying people to not work will never help any society grow. Example, we have spent tens of millions of dollars to resolve homelessness. Yet there are more homeless now than ever before. Like the movie said, if you build it, they will come. The more we build to house homeless, the more homeless come from every other city around. Quit taking our tax money to pay for those unwilling to work. In a free society, those that want to can donate to any cause they desire. You don't have to tax everybody for it. And on a different note, since I have a minute left, although the other three I will do in, pre in future, and the other two I'll do in future weeks to tie all this together. If people don't like the name of a street, they don't have to buy on that street. If 50 to 60% of those people living on the street decide they hate it, they can put together a petition and bring it to you and say, all these people don't like the name of this street. That was done when I was a kid because it was a really long name and the kids couldn't pronounce it. But to have people that have moved in there have to change their checkbooks, change their mortgage statements, change their social security statements, change their car registration, do everything else, it's not just putting a sign on the corner. You would be making all these people on that street or any other street where you look to change a name have to do ungodly amounts of work to make one person happy, one woke person happy. And in this case, I think, I wasn't here two weeks ago, but I think the person that brought it up to you didn't even live on the street. But if he does, and on any other street, let him do the work. Let him go door to door and get everybody's name and phone number Thank you, and Brett. give you a list. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Lance Whitaker? No, I'm sorry, Bob Norris is next. And then Lance. Mayor, City Council members, I'm Bob Norris. I live at 532 Rider Ridge Drive. As long as you don't take so much time, my wife's got time to get a locksmith. Well, I'll just mention at a time when the rents have increased, and we're all dealing with that, often by out-of-state corporations, Colorado law says that you cannot decide if you want rent control. Think about that. That should be our decision. So there's a proposed law. Uh, it may be in the legislature now. I don't have a bill. This law just simply says, let's give home rule and other municipalities the right to decide if they want rent control or not. It doesn't say you have to have rent control. I will send you a flyer, and as soon as I have the bill law, I'll give it to you, and I ask you for your support that you could decide, we, Longmont, can decide if we want rent control or not. It's simple as that. We seldom get things that simple. Another thing was, get my phone to work right. Another issue, sort of related, we just heard about somebody's idea about homeless. I happen to think there's a lot of people that are homeless for a lot of different reasons. One of the reasons is people lease, lose their lease for various reasons. Now, sometimes the landlord has a good reason. People have damaged the property. They haven't paid the bill, and maybe there isn't a 
service that can help them pay their bill or the landlord's gonna sell the property. Sometimes it's a pretty nebulous reason. And right now people sometimes aren't given notice. They aren't given a good reason why they're losing the lease. And some of those people are gonna end up homeless. So there's a, a organization called Just Housing that are proposing a bill. The bill hasn't been organized, put together yet. That bill will come up. I'm gonna ask you for your support. What the bill's gonna say, let's put some rules around this, that there has to be a good reason for breaking, the landlord breaking the lease, the people renting a house, particularly a mobile home, they need to be told why, and they need to be given adequate reason to make other arrangements. It's gonna be simple as that. I will get tomorrow, I'll get you flyers. Somehow, somebody must have stolen from my memory to bring them here tonight. You know how it is when you get a little older. So I'll drop them off tomorrow at the clerk. But I wish you'd take a look at that. Maybe these things are worth talking about at the retreat, among other things. But these are important issues, and they both relate to housing that we've been dealing with. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. Now, Lance. Mayor and Council. Um, my name is Lance Whitaker, live at 1750 Collier Street, been in Longmont for 40 years. Today is National Fettuccine Alfredo Day. It's also Right Year Friend uh, Note Day. Um, I support House Bill 191230, as you all know. I also support theater in Longmont. Seeming so what I want to do is actually open up a comedy club and a stage for open mic and karaoke. Um, although it wouldn't be a bar, per se. Um, it would be a non-alcoholic bar, but like I said, I support House Bill 1. HB 191230 and hope that Longmont acts on that bill soon. Um, I also, I guess that's about it. Thank you, Mayor and Council. Thank you, Lance. Diana Barr. Diana Barra, 1306 Carnation Circle. When I first moved to Longmont from California 27 years ago, things were a lot different than they are today. There was op more open space, cleaner streets, people were friendly, and there was no crime. You could leave your front door and cars unlocked, walk safely through the streets of Longmont. That is no longer the case. Violent crime in our state is at a 25-year high with murder on the rise. Longmont is no exception. Cars are stolen from their driveways. Homeless occupy our parts, and tents are starting to line our streets. We have 266 registered sex offenders right, residing here. Other offenses are on the rise are aggregated assault and larceny theft. Homicide has increased by 50%. Our Colorado legislators, a Democrat majority, passed bills that are soft on crime. 
and without fail, our governor signs them into law. They have an agenda that is not in the best interest of Colorado. They think collectively, and the bills get passed along party line votes. The 73rd General Assembly has introduced 657 bills between the months of January and May. Apparently, none of them did anything to make our city safe. As a matter of fact, it is the opposite. On January 3rd, the Times Call published an article about crime in Longmont and judges lowering bonds and putting criminals back on the streets. This is the result of our Colorado legislators passing bills that are soft on crime and reclassifying criminal offenses, shortening sentences, and lowering bond amounts. Excuse me, I'm a little nervous. One of the offenders was Aldalberto Reyes Carrillo, who was caught with 45 pounds of fentanyl, 20,000 grams, enough to kill over 1 million Colorados. That was in Longmont. I did a little investigating on my own and discovered that Reyes Carrillo has direct ties to the Sinaloa cartel. The Sinaloa cartel is the result of our open border and they are in fentanyl business all over our country. The Rocky Mountain Drug Trafficking Task Force and Homeland Security are watching them. This combination of soft on crime and open borders is a, is a detriment to the American citizens and the government is not protecting us. Just because the Colorado legislator, legislature passed a bill allowing local jurisdictions to have stronger gun control than the state, that does not mean that Longmont needs to do that. Just because the governor says it's okay doesn't make it constitutional. With the current criminal environment, gun control will not save lives. If the government does not protect us, we need to protect ourselves. Just because our governor has a pet project to rename our historic landmarks in the name of woke does not mean that Longmont City Council needs to rename our streets. With the current crim um, instead use the money to protect the residents on those streets and hire more police that will cruise those streets. Thank you. Thank you, Diana. Antoinette Kemper. Good evening. I'm Lieutenant Colonel Retired Antoinette Kemper, Fifth Avenue. Whoop. Can you hear me now? Yes. <laughs> All right, good evening. <laughs> there seems to be some misconceptions about the inalienable rights that need to be clarified. Inalienable rights or natural rights are the rights each person is born with. They're neither granted nor can they be taken by government. The Declaration of Independence cited King George III's violation of the colonists' inalienable rights as justification for the American Revolution. It's only logical that the tenet upon which we declared our independence, fought a revolutionary war, and established a new nation would be incorporated into the foundational document of that new nation. This document, the U.S. Constitution, doesn't grant us rights. It prohibits government from taking them. While there isn't a specific list labeled inalienable rights in the Constitution, there are generally accepted natural rights, including but not limited to the right to think freely, worship freely, act in self-defense, and own private property. The Bill of Rights, however, enshrines our inalienable rights. Language such as Congress shall make no law and shall not be infringed attest to the inalienability of those rights the inalienable nature of those rights, excuse me. The Ninth and Tenth Amendments reflect the framers' intent to limit governmental power and protect the natural rights of the people. 
The language retained by the people in the Ninth Amendment speaks to the fact that just because it's not written down doesn't mean it's not protected. The Tenth Amendment specifies all powers not specifically granted to the federal government are reserved to the states and the people. And in order to prevent the states from claiming too much power, the Constitution's Supremacy Clause holds that all laws enacted by the state governments must comply with the Constitution. Furthermore, all but four states include inalienable rights in their constitutions. Article 2, Section 3 of the Colorado State Constitution reads, inalienable rights. All persons have certain natural, essential, and inalienable rights, among which may be reckoned the right of enjoying and defending their lives and liberties, of acquiring, possessing, and protecting property, and of seeking and obtaining their safety and happiness. So this um, notion that inalienable rights are confined to the Declaration of Independence is incorrect. The question is, why would anyone choose a limited interpretation of inalienable rights? Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. George Tristan. Good evening, Honorable Mayor Peck and distinguished council members. My name is George Tristan and I reside at 1703 Whitehall Drive. The Civil Rights Act of 1964 paved the way for racial equality. Today, however, we no longer debate the efficacy of equality or how to level the playing field to provide equal opportunity for all. Rather, we currently find ourselves embracing a harmful ideology that is infiltrating every institution of American culture. Equity, not equality, is now used to reward a person based on their identity and not their merit. Take for example the cases taken up by the US Supreme Court this calendar session. Two prominent universities, Harvard and the University of North Carolina, both face lawsuits from the Students for Free and Fair Admission based on both schools' discriminatory admission practices. The schools allegedly turned down worthy Asian students the right to be admitted, while other students significantly less deserving were awarded admission, a stark change in course to longstanding admission policies and practices. These universities have employed what they refer to as, quote, racial balancing admission policies. Both schools have also eliminated the long accepted prerequisite ACT and SAT admission exams. Essentially, equity has become the admission policy of the day. Last year, we celebrated the 50th anniversary of the adoption of Title IX. This federal law established a gender-based protection for women from discrimination in education. Is the irony lost on anyone considering the push to make it legal and socially acceptable to allow men to participate in women's sports and permit them to roam freely in the women's locker room? Consider also that the University of Pennsylvania allowed a person who swam on the men's swimming team for three years, putting up mediocre swim times, to suddenly change course and elect to swim on the women's team, racking up record times and winning medals. Leah Thomas, formerly William Thomas, was also nominated by University of Pennsylvania as their 2022 NCAA Woman of the Year. So much for protecting women from discrimination. 
Will we stand by and watch this seep its way into medicine? Will future brain and heart surgeons be those people who achieve the highest MCAT scores? Or will they be handpicked to attend medical school because of their racial origin or gender fluidity? Respectfully, I suggest that we all agree that the emperor has no clothes. It is time to return to protecting women's rights and rewarding excellence and achievement versus the proliferation of a rapidly expanding virtue signal for the smallest of minorities because they have some immutable characteristic that has been deemed more worthy due to its underrepresentation. Thank you. Thank you, George. We're now at our study session items. Um, the first one on the list is capital project updates and city, uh, city manager Harold Dominguez. Yep, Mayor Council, if you'll give me a second to pull this up and I think Becky is on her way. Yep, that's fine. So, um, Normally, when we're, when we're moving through our capital projects and seeing where they're coming in um, on cost, uh, we like to take projects where we're seeing issues from a budget perspective and work them a little bit. Um, what really started happening within the last few weeks is we started seeing the volume of those capital projects in terms of the shortfalls. Um, really present them in a way that we haven't seen before. And so what we wanted to do is take this opportunity to um, talk to council about some significant capital projects that we have, um, what we're seeing in terms of budget estimates and in some cases bids, um, and let you know that we're going to be digging into these projects, but um, the work's gonna be pretty extensive and exhaustive in terms of how we, how we fund those. Um, and it's going to take a fair amount of time. And, and again, I think it was just the number of times that I was seeing this brought to my attention where I said I need to get this on council's radar because I don't want to come back to you three months from now and go, we've got a significant problem on our hands. So know that um, we're going to stay pretty high level in this and know that we're going to dig in and continue to work these projects, but I just didn't want to wait any longer based on what we were seeing. Um, when you really look at this, this shouldn't surprise any of you in terms of the issues that we're seeing with capital projects. You know, when we were in the budget process this year, we talked about what we were seeing um, in terms of expenses and what we were having to deal with. Uh, in addition to, to that, uh, you know, we're, we've been watching the economy to see, you know, are we going to see any tailwinds behind some of our projects versus the headwinds that we've been seeing. And you'll hear me mention that a little bit. But really, the, the issues that we're facing right now are labor, supply chain, and commodities. And right now, we're seeing that across the board on, on a number of projects. You know, we were hoping as, you know, we were seeing some of the rate increases from the Fed in terms of, you know, stemming inflation and what we were seeing. Uh, and then I, I sent an email, and we'll talk about the labor piece, to, to a group of staff where... I guess the latest jobs report said there were 250,000 uh, open jobs in the United States, which, you know, when we were looking at maybe seeing some tailwinds, the headwind actually got stronger in terms of the labor piece. And so we're seeing these issues across the board. You know, when we talk about supply chain, I'll give you a real-world operational issue that we're dealing with. Uh, when we look at the housing authority, for people to move in, you have to have 
stoves, refrigerators, and things like that. And when we talked about some of our vacancy rates, you all may remember we said, well, sometimes we can't get stoves. It's really getting to the point in that world where I've asked staff to do an analysis on what's available and what's the cost and what's the ROI based on what we may or may not lose on lost rent. And sometimes we may have to buy the more expensive stove in order to not lose the rental revenue. And so we're seeing it in daily operations and capital projects. The magnitude's really in the capital project piece. Um, when you look at um, our local and regional economic conditions, you know, the Colorado unemployment rate um, that's seasonally adjusted, you can see that where we've headed and what we're dealing with. And, and obviously we've talked about that in hiring positions within the organization, how that continu continues to be a challenge. I think there are some areas where we're seeing improvements. Unfortunately, it's not necessarily in the capital project world. It may be related to positions that are associated with the tech industry as the tech industry is going through a resetting. So there's spots where we're seeing improvement, but in the world of capital projects and operations, it's still a challenge for us. When we look at, when we look at capital projects, you can see, and I wanna thank Becky for doing this and Joni and the, the group that put all this together, you really see three variables that we work with, budget, scope, and time. And as you're looking at budget problems with your capital projects, we are looking at all three of those variables. And when we adjust one of those variables, we know that it's gonna adjust the other variables in this. And, and so, you know, when you look at it, is it time or is it money? Depends on what the nature of the project is and what you need to get done. Sometimes you may go, time's more important, so we need to figure out the money. Sometimes you may go, money's more important, so we're gonna be willing to give on time. And um, so this is a, a good way of how we look at the projects and what we're talking about. So the first thing I wanted to talk about is, and then Becky's gonna jump in with me on some of these, but when we look at the first and main transit station, so council may remember we've been putting more money into this. Um, when we look at what we've been talking about in terms of the future of transportation, you know, this is one of those projects that's really the hub of that. What we're showing you here is, is really um, the, the purchase of the land. And so we had, if you remember, I think we were in the neighborhood of $4 million and we began adding money knowing that it was gonna be more expensive. Um, our current estimate is that it's gonna be 8.7 million versus the 7.4 million. As you all may recall from the discussions we've had on housing, land costs are just continuing to rise in Longmont and so that's putting some of the pressure on here. We do have some grants, and as we talk about this project, um, you all know that we have the funding from RTD that's there for the construction piece. And I believe that's going to be, it started out at 17 million, it may be 14-ish million now once expenses, maybe 14 to 16 million what we have based on what we're pulling out. The reason why acquiring the land is so important is because if you go back to the previous slide and you look at time, money, and um, let me go back here and you look at scope, time, and money, we know what we've seen in this period of COVID where inflation has really taken off at a rate that we've never seen before. And what that really means to us is we need to get the land purchased so we can start working toward the construction um, of the transit station because the longer that continues to sit out there, the more expensive that's going to be. And so the, there is a component where time is a critical factor in this one. <clears throat> 
Um, safety and justice remodel. So when we went out for bonds on our projects, we have finished the library and um, obviously we finished the Civic Center. We looked at safety and justice being next and then some other um, recreation centers and some other areas that we were going to assess. Well, we got caught in that. And so what we know in the Safety and Justice Center is that when we were doing the evaluation of that building, basically that ring that's on the outside in the clock tower has essentially failed structurally. So we have to take it down uh, for, the for the structural integrity of the building. And then we were assessing, so what do we do? Um, we could build it back and that was gonna cost approximately $2 million, or we could look at putting a facade and getting some extra office space there. Um, and, and so what we know on the current estimate is um, in addition to the bond work that we have on the structural integrity of that building, the current estimates are coming in $2.3 million and we currently have 575,000. And, and so we need to really, we're gonna have to work this issue um, the first two are really going to, this one is going to set in the general fund and in the transportation fund. This one is going to set in the general fund in the public safety fund. Um, and so we know we have to kind of work through these issues. Uh, the next, and, and on, uh, let's see, I hit this one, on Kaufman Street. So as we continue to look at the development of Kaufman Street, which if you all will remember when we had the conversation on transit with the Downtown Development Authority, um, I really talked about the components of really first and main transit station and Kaufman Street are really going to be the impetus of where transportation is going to move in our community. Um, the purpose of Kaufman Street is obviously to make it a multimodal, multimodal street, but also get the buses on Kaufman Street in our downtown corridor um, on, get them onto Kaufman and relieve that issue on Main Street. Um, on this project, I would like to remind council that we also received a $6.6 .6 million grant from Dr. Cog via federal, via federal funds. And so on this one, there also is a time constraint on this in terms of spending those dollars. Uh, the current estimate is coming in at $19.6 million. So obviously another big gap to fill. This one will set in the transportation fund, general fund uh, in terms of potential funding sources in terms of how we look at this. Becky, do you wanna take the remaining projects or? Good evening, Mayor and Council. All right, so now we're up to the Boston Avenue Bridge. Uh, where we have recently opened bids um, and bids have come in higher than expected at 12.5 million rather than the engineer's estimate of 8.5. The reason that that's really important is that the Boston Avenue Bridge is serving as our local match for the Army Corps project for the next phase of the Resilient St. Green project. So um, a couple of funding sources to to bring to bear there um, in transportation and storm drainage, but uh, you know a pretty significant difference um, in the funding required to move forward with that resiliency rain project, so that then we can also you know complete the last phase, which is what we just um, uh, had approved through the voters uh, for uh, additional bonding on on that piece. Um, do you want to? Yeah, and I think, you know, the point on the Army Corps, what we're leveraging against the Army Corps of Engineering is $10 million. 
and what they're bringing to bear on the Isaac Walton reach. And so the match is important to leverage that money. It's 10 million, correct? Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. So our, yeah, our, our match started out to be $5 million when that we thought that was the cost of the bridge and uh, it has, it has certainly grown. Yeah. Um, What's the value of the army Corps project? 10 million. 10 million. Yeah. yeah. So, um, then on the railroad quiet zones, this is going to probably come in a little bit to the uh, to the the schedule component of our of our triple constraint here. Uh, there's currently four and a half million dollars in the budget, and then followed by another four or so million that we've planned for in uh, a future year of the CIP. Uh, the total estimate will exceed that that eight and a half million uh, somewhat. Uh, but that's something that we can probably address as we move through some of the years of, of this planning. But again, you know, transportation funds, and we're seeing a lot of projects in that same funding source have similar stresses. So they, they, they start to pile up in, in those areas. Um, next. So the Nelson Flanders water treatment plant expansion, we, we talked a little bit last year when we first raised the flag about increasing construction costs. And I think at that point, the estimate was in the 70 or so million dollar range. And, and our thought at that point was, well, let's, let's continue with design and see whether you know, we do get some of those tailwinds that Harold was talking about, where construction costs start to come down, some of those supply chain issues start to clear up. Um, and in fact, we did not see uh, that, that outcome as we proceeded to 90% design. So um, you may recall that Nelson Flanders was one of the projects identified for bond funding when we uh, had $80 million of bond funding authorized in 2020. Um, another related project that you'll see here is <laughs> so the Montgomery Tank. Um, is is related certainly so you know kind of thinking about the the water the treated water infrastructure as a whole uh, you know water goes from the treatment plant to the tanks and then through the distribution system um, and so this is we, we think at least part of the solution to this is sequencing uh, where we had thought that expanding the the plant and then replacing the tank um, with a slightly larger tank was going to be the best way to move through those projects we now think that we may have to rearrange some of that so that we can make sure that we're making the best use of, of bond funds um, while, we, while we can, um, <laughs> making sure that, that all of that fits within the $80 million authorization that we have. Uh, so that is, is going to be a change that you may see come forward uh, is, is just a, a, a switch in, in what we propose to do first with the bond funding. Uh, that does stress sort of the overall funding available from the bonds as far as like how far we're able to take that. Um, you know, we had hoped that after the completion of Montgomery Tank, there might be some additional capacity for some improvements in, in the larger parts of the distribution system, and that's unlikely at this point. Um, so that's really, I think, all of the, the projects that we wanted to highlight. Um, Harold, any, any thoughts? Oh. One, one word on asset management. Yeah. <laughs> the, the projects that we, we've been talking about here and, and just highlighted for, for your information are really improvement projects, um, kind of taking something to, to the next level and, and, uh, you know, and even where we're replacing capacity, like at the water treatment plant or 
or Montgomery, there's certain, there's a capacity improvement that's associated with that. Um, and, and while we're doing that, we also still need to manage all of the assets across all the different systems, you know, the utility systems, the transportation system, et cetera. And um, as we reassign some of the, the capital uh, that that's really for that asset management and pull it into improvement projects because of these shortfalls uh, that has a, an impact on system condition um, and, and even potentially service impact. So that's something that we really need to watch for as we move forward through our capital planning processes. So um, kind of as we end this, wanted to give you an overview of where we sit on, on a lot of capital. Wanted to talk to you all about the fact that we still have a lot of work to do to dig into this. Um, you know, we may be able to look at things like value engineering. We may be able to, but I think at the end of the day, I'm pretty confident in knowing we're going to have to look at all the projects that we have in play, prioritize which projects are the most important, and really looking at how we shift the funding. Um, and I think we're still probably going to have financial gaps that we're going to have to deal with. And so I didn't want to surprise you all four months from now. Um, <clears throat> I was, you know, but I wanted to put this on your, on your radar so you know this is going to be a significant amount of work that we're going to have to undertake as an organization. And it's going to be bringing lots of different folks to the table, really looking holistically at what we're trying to do and making sure that when we come back to you all, we're bringing you the best options available, um, but we're going to be moving pretty fast on this because some of these projects are time sensitive and time is money. And we know that, it, you know, what we've learned through COVID and this hyperinflation that we've been in is you just don't know what that's going to do and when it's going to come back. And, and I think that's really probably the significant driver is when you look at inflation increases and you look at it over time, uh, no one predicted what we're seeing now. So, uh, Councillor Martin. Uh, thank you, Mayor Peck. Um, could you kind of go back to the beginning? I think that I have more questions at the front. Um, in this discussion, there has not been a, a mention of criticality on these projects. But actually, criticality is a big factor um, when you look at uh, doing the changing the time parameter to make things fit into our current disposable Correct. money. So um, if you can go forward until I say stop. Okay, so first and main transit station um, is, uh, uh, we have a lot of transit-related plans that are dependent on the existence of this, but it is, if and correct me if I am wrong, there's not, um, a structural problem, uh, a public safety problem with postponing this project. It is only um, that we delay a lot of other plans that would be improvements for the city. Am I assessing that correctly? Well, so we have the agreements with RTD and we have the uh, 14 to 16 million that's there in terms of mm -hmm. moving that. So. There is a timing component associated with the work with RTD because you need to leverage that, that those funds. Sure, and so what? Well, when does the agreement with RTD expire and we lose their their contribution? You know, we started off at seventeen million, and it has 
and various expenses. I don't know, is Phil back here? Yes, he's on his way yeah. down. Okay, although my question was, was when does the money go away? How long do we have to take it? I'll let Phil jump in and then I'll give you my take on this. Good evening, Mayor and members of council. My name is Phil Greenwald, transportation planner with this planning manager with the city. Um, we have just gone through an IGA process, an intergovernmental agreement process with RTD, and they are requesting and requiring that that station be up and running by 2026. So that's part of our agreement. And once you break ground on it, how many years does it take to build it? So we can count backwards. We're hoping a two-year project. So we've really only got a year before we stand to lose the money. Well, you have to have the money there so that you can go through design with them and then go in. I mean, you would probably want to start construction actually in 2024. Okay. I'm under a time constraint here, so can we go to the next slide? Okay. Um, let's skip that one and that one. Okay, the Boston Avenue Bridge. Do we have, I, I understand here, it, it, this screams criticality at me because it is um, uh, on the critical path of flood mitigation. Mm -hmm. um, so I just wanted to get a confirmation of that. Um, and uh, if you go to the next slide, uh, railroad quiet zones, how much control do we have over when that happens since we've had some of these have been funded for a long time and uh, they haven't been begun because BNSF was not willing to begin. So there, there's pieces of this where we're going for approval with BNSF right now. This is one as Becky talked about that we think we can manage over time because if you remember the schedule, that schedule went further out in time mm -hmm. which gives us more ability to deal with it. I think what we want to be cognizant of is when BNSF is ready to go, we need to go because what we've learned is when you fall off of that schedule, sometimes <laughs> it's hard to get it's, back it's on. It's hard to get back on. So I, mm -hmm. again, it's a different time driver, but it's a driver nonetheless. Okay, so we've got some slack. We hope. We hope. We hope. Okay, and then back to if I have time to safety and and justice. Um, is it possible to do part of the project? Um, there is uh, obviously a human safety issue there if you've got a structural failure in the building right under the lobby where everybody enters the building. So can, can the structural failure be repaired without undertaking other major um, architectural changes to the building and save a little money that way? Um. If I may, yeah, go ahead if I can and jump, jump in. in. Actually, the good news is there's actually a separate project that was for the structural repairs, which was funded by the bond, um, mm -hmm. and that is nearing completion and fully funded. Mm -hmm. No, not okay. So, so close. Yeah. It's on time, not budget. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in budget. All right, it's on time and on budgets. Joni knows better than I do. So does it? <laughs> does it include? Does that include taking down the tower? Yes. Yes. Okay. Th this is more of the remodel to, you know, provide the, the space interior and. So in going through that, as you take down the structural components, you have mm -hmm. to build structural components back into it. And so that is where we were talking about what is that going to look like and how do you do it? Because um, if you don't 
what they've communicated to me is if you don't do it as part of this project, it's going to cost a lot more to come back in and do it. And so it's really looking at what's the economy of scale as you're moving through this project. And, um, and we've, again, have got a ton of work to do to refine and do this. You know, there may be a point where it's core and shell and that's it. But I still think that's probably going to need an additional million dollars just to core and shell it and not do the full build out on that. And so those are some questions that we've started putting into the system. Thank you, that's all the questions I have. Um, Councilor Waters, before I call on you, can I just, um, Harold, would you give us a priority list according to staff as far as um, not only time but urgency and um, what it means to our city to have these in this prior, priority uh, queue? Thank you. Uh, Councilor Waters. Thanks, Mayor Peck. Real quick, Harold, on the transit station, the first in Maine, uh, with 17 million, we've been accruing. I know there was a time during the pandemic where we were thinking about we might have to use those funds for, uh, for other things, what we were accruing in that account, as I recall. But the, as I, rec I thought the, the initial estimate was to like 27 million. We were accruing 10 to match 17. So Phil can jump in. The 17 that we're talking about actually is being held, or the, what is I know, it those are RTD funds. The 16.4 that we have now is being held by RTD. That is RTD's funding coming yeah, in. Yeah, and we were accruing to do it, to get to a match. We were, and that's level. the 7, that's the 7.45. So that was the original target. Now we're no, saying. the original target was 4.4 in the last few budget years. We've been adding dollars to yeah. that as that number was increased. So now, so that target has gone up. That's yes. how we got there. Okay, yeah. real quickly, um, on the on the justice center, mm -hmm. uh, that five seventy five. I think the I think Becky answered the question because I had a question: Is that in addition to or outside of what we had originally estimated as the cost for bonded? That, the, that's the in addition to. So when we looked at that, is we had additional funds in there for other construction projects. Yeah. That we were trying to do to add space. Yeah, I just, I just, I would, it was, I would just, I looked at the number, and thought, geez, we had a, a way bigger number of that in the estimate for the bond, right. but this is in addition to the bond fund on quiet zones. Um, we won. We were awarded a four million dollar, what is it, Tiger Grant, mm -hmm. and we were accruing over a couple of budget cycles another four to match. So I, the, the number is a little confusing to me when I look at that. We're probably going to be about two million, based on the estimates now, about two million short at, at, over time, but and so we have eight, eight and a half million. We're estimating that we'll be one and a half to two million short over time. So could you, when could it's you done. fast forward to that one just so we can look yeah. at the numbers? The, the way that's stated is a little perplexing because it's four and a half million that's available in the current budget year. We plan in either 24 or 25 to have that other four, four and a half million, uh, I think four million. So it kind of the federal, use of the, the federal grant that we were awarded. We're splitting the federal grant over this this year and then that. that what does that, that roll up to year? as a total? Four, eight and a half million total of which four million is federal grant. All right. And so, so how does that relate to the 10? Top line total estimated cost is ten. One and a half million short. Of All right. The 10. So this is a little confusing. Yeah, this slide. Fair. Um, um, so uh, the, the I guess the other question uh, in in all the rhetoric of the president's giving his speech tonight about you know this monumental uh, trillion dollar infrastructure bill. 
uh, how much of that is potentially out there for us on either a competitive basis or a formula basis for any of these projects? As, as you may notice, most of these projects already have grant funding in them, and it can be very challenging to receive grants where grant funds already are in play. Um, federal agencies don't love to play in the same sandbox. Uh, so our, for these projects in particular, I think that our, our options are fairly limited as far as additional grant funding. Mm. Um, Phil may have additional information on that since most of these are <laughs> in that space. Really quick, what we were told for transportation improvement program funding for yeah. specifically the Kaufman project was we could throw back the $7 million that we got in grant and go for a new grant fund for the larger amount but that would mean there was a chance we'd lose then everything. So, so you gotta give one up. Uh, you can't be willing to give one up to go after another one, right? Just to shift money someplace else. You have to forego it. Mm -hmm. All right, thanks. Do we have any other questions on the capital improvement projects? So I, I would look forward to your priority list um, because I think that's really important when we, when we discuss this. Yeah, and we'll break it out because obviously stormwater and water. Yes. Um, but when you're looking at the water fund, there will be a priority priority list within the water fund in terms of what we're funding. Okay. So again, wanted to get this on your radar. We're going to be digging in as staff, really working these issues. We're, you know, I'm pounding questions in. You know, this morning on on the Boston, I was asking three or four questions in terms of what we look at. I think we're going to have to um, really challenge ourselves on this. Um, but I am telling you all that we're going to delay projects and or shift schedules in order to, to really meet this need. And, um, but we'll bring that back to you. Wouldn't some of it depend upon uh, the grant funding, when it's available, when we get it, and if we have the local match? So it would be hard to put anything in, you know, just embed it that this is what we're going to do first. Um, That's part of the analysis. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. So the next thing, um, oh, wait, pardon me. Oh, I'm sorry. Councillor Martin. Uh, thank you, Mayor Peck. Thank you. Um, I just realized based on something, the last thing that Becky said, well, that, uh, I was misinterpreting maybe the grant check mark. So does the grant check mark mean there's already grant funding in there, which means we can't expect more grant funding in general? And did they all have that? Because I wasn't. No. Well, no, there were, some were bond. I think all of them are bond. But so could we get just quickly zip through that? Sure, it's, it's most of them outside of safety and justice. Um, and then the, uh, the water projects, the plant expansion and the, uh, the Montgomery tank are bond funded but not grant funded. Okay. So really S and J and water. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and what we're seeing in the water, I mean, this is an interesting piece. There's a lot of federal money chasing. But there are a lot of requirements in, in at least in what we've talked about um, a lot of it is um, rural water systems and things like that. So the requirements on it are, are in, dependent on where we set and what we have in our condition of our water system. 
sometimes actually doesn't allow us to go after certain grants. I know there was one grant where you had to demonstrate that your system was not in, that your system was in a, um, a state of disrepair, for lack of a better word. So there are different components that are built into this that challenge us at times. And so they're, they've got grant folks looking through it and trying to augment that. So at this point, you don't know the ones that are not already grant funded. You don't know whether there's any opportunity to obtain some. It's going to, yeah, it's going to be dependent on the grant requirements. Okay. That's it. And they're not all bonded, bond funded. No. Okay. Well. J just the water projects. Yeah, just You're the right. water. Okay. That's what I thought. Thank you very much. Very informative. So the next thing uh, on our list is discussion regarding City Council Rules of Procedure. I, I was wondering if Council would mind uh, if we switched these and did uh, ethics first and then came back to Rules of Procedure. Is there any problem with that? No. No, I'm not really. So, is that okay? Yeah, okay. So, um, discussion of the Ethics Committee. Uh, I'm going to start this discussion since I made the motion. Uh, and the reason I am bringing this up, uh, whoops, come on, you can show up. The reason that I'm bringing this, brought this forward is that um, it's my commitment to professionalism, the way in which this and future councils conduct the people's business. And toward this commitment, I'm initiating the steps to implement an ethics committee at the Longmont Council. My aim is to have an agnostic framework of basic guidelines, basic guidelines, clear to everyone that can be relied upon by the citizens of Longmont to ensure the integrity and focus of their elected council members. Uh, I'm really proud of the ways in which this council has elevated the level of disco discourse and focus uh, on policy issues, including the ways in which we agree and disagree on those policies. To main that focus going forward, it's important that we begin to implement best practices that are found among the best performing of our peer councils along the front range. Uh, an ethics committee is one such best practice. It's employed by other high-functioning councils that provide exceptional representation to their citizens by our best-performing business partners, and it is something that we should be employing as a matter of course here in Longmont. I propose that a third-party ethics committee of no more than five people who reside outside of the city's jurisdiction be part of a committee to determine whether an incident or action by a council member rises to council action. Um, and the comments that you are going to make uh, need to be directed toward the future based upon my term in office. Comments are to be about why we should or we should not have an ethics committee. Um, the details of what that committee will comprise of, I think, should be discussed in one of our pre-sessions so that we can have a robust conversation among council and not bring staff into anything at this point. So uh, I would like to hear comments from council, uh, from everybody actually, on whether you, you think we should go forward with this. It's not for bringing anything to staff, but we just made a motion to put it on the agenda, not to whether we should actually engage in it. So 
I'm opening that up for comments. Uh, Councilor Martin. Thank you, Mayor Peck. Um, given that the members of, of this committee would be from outside the city of Longmont, so not Longmont residents, um, do you anticipate that these would be positions that received a stipend or honorarium in order to participate, to entice them to participate? And Councillor Martin, that's a good question, and that would be part of the discussion that the whole council would have at a pre-session, if you agree to that it is something we move to, that we want to move forward on. It wouldn't be something that I personally would, it would be something we need to discuss. Um, Councillor McCoy. Thank you, Mayor Peck. I'm just trying to get my head around this, like, so that, uh, so maybe would it be members of other community councils, something like that, or is it, is it we well, might have somebody with experience. Mm -hmm. And that is what I, um, that's what we need to discuss. Yeah, I'm, just, that, trying, I'm yeah. just trying to get my head around what so you're I, Yeah, I think it should be outside of our uh, city council, I'm sorry, city jurisdiction because of politics and because of, um, I think, be, well, mainly because of politics. Um, and and you, counselors may have other reasons as to why they think that that is not a valid option to have it outside, but that's what I propose. Well, you know, other professions out there are much more focused in what they do, like, uh, you know, the um, legal boards right. and, and stuff like that. And uh, maybe, uh, uh, was it uh, boards for looking at, you know, whether uh, IRB boards in regards to institutional research mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So some some of that I, I understand. I'm just trying to figure out how to how to do this. I don't think most people are against anybody trying to figure out a way of trying to address ethics issues and occasionally they do crop up. Uh, and somebody's, you know, um, I've seen it happen mm -hmm. in my first time on council. Mm -hmm. And it would have probably been beneficial to have have something like this to have at least a robust discussion about it. Yep, and that's what I, that's what I'm hoping, that we can have a robust discussion in, in a pre-session and all of your um, pros and cons be discussed and then we would decide, do we wanna bring it forward and make a motion to uh, actually begin this work? This is just a proposal to see if you are willing or interested in discussing an ethics committee. Start small and get a discussion going among counselors only at this point. Councilor Waters. Thanks, Mayor Peck. Let me just, I just need to say based on one of your comments, mm -hmm. I don't intend to go back, but I, but, I, but I will say, I just want to declare, I don't think anybody up here gets to tell me what I get to talk about. Whatever topic, as long as it's germane to the subject, I will ex I will take up whatever issue and express myself on whatever topic in ways that I think appropriate and responsible given my role here. So 
Just saying. Now, that, I'm not going back. And I understand re the reason for your comment, um, but I'm not going to be constrained. I just want to make you and other council members. Councilor Waters, I've never known you to be constrained. I, I'm not. You know that. So, <laughs> but I do have some questions. Not, I'm not asking you to answer these because I don't know that, you know, this yeah, would. Of course. Uh, I just think these are the, uh, the kind of questions that I think we need to answer. And I'm, I'm down with, I wish we'd had an eth ethics committee the day I was elected to this council and somebody else had gone through the brain damage to figure this out. But that said, here are the kind of questions I have, <clears throat> whether they're from in town or out town, and I understand the rationale for bringing folks together from outside of Longmont, but I'd be curious, at some point in time, somebody's gonna answer who's gonna make appointments, what would be the process? I, let me just kind of run through these. Okay. What would be the process? Is it gonna be a formal application? Who reviews the applications? What are the criteria? Because there ought to be some for who is eligible for for serving on an ethics committee based on, you know, professional experience or whatever. Um, what's the term of, a, of somebody who serves on a council? Are they, do they meet on a regular basis? Is this they only meet when there's a complaint? Uh, that, you know, that has implications, I guess, for people being appointed and never being convened if there's never a complaint. Who gets to file complaints? What are the implications or consequences of complaints? Um, uh, it just as a starter list. I think if we're going to move forward, I mean, there's a list like that that we need to be real clear on, and I'm not certain who's going to answer them. I don't have answers to them. So can I, are you open for, okay. Sure. So I agree, and that's where I think the robust discussion among councils should start with all of those things. And uh, our city attorney has already done some research on other uh, council ethics committees along the front range and at some point if we decide if this council wants to actually dig in then I would like him to bring forward that research for us and uh, we could make what I really hope that this council could do is come together so that we have something to present to staff and not have um, staff wondering what in the heck we want to do and that, that's the main point to, to begin. You know, the only, the only kind of framework I have in my mind is what CML includes in you know, their handbook for elected officials, right? They have a chapter, I think mm -hmm. it's chapter six. And that so would be something we should all bone up on. Um, so I, I'm just, this is different than what they recommend in terms, of what, in terms of what is in the CML handbook. And I just was curious whether or not, you know, that, that's we, you, you're, are you thinking that we would want to with CML or look at what their recommendations are or are we making this up or expecting Eugene or somebody else to do it? Um, and I think that that's, I would like to have a robust round, a round table discussion with counselors and say, these are the things that we need to look at. What do you think? Is, do we want, we don't want to recreate the wheel, but what are the best practices from other councils, which Eugene has graciously already uh, researched a little bit for us, and CML would be part of that, and um, perhaps we adopt some of CML, all of CML, um, and, and put in some other things that we get from other councils. I'm not sure what that would look like. Last question, I'll, then I'll, I'll okay. stop. Uh, do you have a, I, I don't know, so this is a genuine inquiry. Okay. <laughs> And just for information. In fact, those were all concerns and, and inquiries. Um, but the bottom line question is, if you go through the process and you create a committee and 
you know, and there's a complaint and there's a process, what's the, what's the so what? I understand the what. What's the so what in terms of best practices? An ethics committee arrives at a conclusion, and what does that mean for a council member or any other elected official? Well, I th what I would envision is that the ethics committee, whatever that is, would be getting, would be given um, things that would rise to the uh, level of referring that, that accuser or accused to bring that to council. And then council then would decide what the action would be for that. Because we are a self-policing. I get that. But, had, I've said that. But we've occasion. never had any guidelines on how we do that. So those guidelines, for me, would be incorporated into the ethics of it. So it's council, just, council would have to decide what, what their, if, if an incident was brought to us from the ethics committee, we would have to have a list of things that we could do, probably through the legal aspect. Um, that might be a good place to start. Under, under any circumstance, what, what's the so what, or what's the range of so what's for some ethics breach that, you know, fast forward and a conclusion by an ethics committee, yep, fill in the blank, Waters did X, Y, or Z. So what? <laughs> Based on what X, Y, or Z was, what's the range of implications? That wouldn't be a bad place to start, so we don't spend a whole lot of time going through something that's toothless at the end of the day. Oh, it's not going to be toothless. Well, I hope. <laughs> well, let's, then let's start with what the teeth, what the teeth are. So not, are not you necessarily tonight? But so I, are you um, in favor of having a discussion, uh, council at a pre-session on should should we go forward with this? I'd be happy to have a conversation in a pre-session. I I have to say, when I think about what the implications are for staff, I don't want it to bring uh, it to staff. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I get that. Yeah. If there's an ethics committee, there are implications for staff. But not at this point. We're going to wait. Okay. <laughs> down the road. There are big political implications for everybody I involved, agree. including staff. So, I mean, you know, I, if you want to yes or a no on, well, on I moving I think there are other ways to spend our time, but, I, you know, I, if we're going to have a conversation about ethics, I'm showing up and I'm participating. So that he's a yes. Um, Councillor McCoy. No. Uh, okay. Mayor Pro Tem Rodriguez. Thank you, Mayor Peck. Uh, I think, based on Councilmember Waters' comments, my biggest concern is the so what portion of this, uh, because I personally believe that it's you know completely necessary to uphold the public's trust. And when a group is self-policing, mm -hmm. I think that can erode the public's trust. Mm -hmm. uh, it's also my belief that the council shouldn't have the opportunity to raise its own wages or salaries. Uh, I'm glad that we haven't done that. Uh, I didn't mind the proposal to put it to a vote last time it came up, but that didn't end up going forward. Um, so this is another example of uh, if the so what is just to send it back to council for self-policing, I probably won't be real happy with it. So I would like to discuss the ramifications first before we get into the rest of the sausage making, which this just reeks of 
painful, painful sausage making. Yes, it is. But I, I'm a yes painful. on the I'm a yes on the discussion. Thank you, um, Councillor Yarbrough. No, I'm sorry. Was that Hidalgo Ferry? Oh, thank you. Thank you, Mayor. So, um, you know, I would be in, in favor of moving forward with having a discussion around what would be the criteria for setting up a um, an ethics committee. My um, question, I, I think, you know, for, in order for me to be well prepared for a study session and have a robust conversation, I guess, what would be the expectation of each of us mm -hmm. to come with our top three, to come with, a, you know, our, our blanket list of ideas? Um, you know, kind of guide me first on what what to to make sure that I am prepared on and what I want to bring forward. Good point. Um, and I think before we have the pre-session on it, there should be, we should probably have an agenda as to what exactly. So far, I've heard the what it, what so what is is where we should start. Um, Let's go to Councillor Yarbrough. Oh, didn't work. Yeah, it's working. Thank you, Mayor. Um, definitely open to discussion about the Ethics Committee. Um, I am with Councillor Hidalgo Faring, um, finding out what we need to do, what questions. I also think that you said that um, um, there have already been some research and everything done, so to have when we have that discussion to kind of figure out what the, you know what that is, and then are there other um, city councils or municipalities that have ethics committees? What are some of the top you know five issues that they have that, that they run into, and what are the repercussions of that? What are they doing? What is the so so what so what with for them? Um, I look at this as some pre preventatives, especially for new city councilors uh, that come on, um, who may, like me, who didn't, had never been in government before, and may, you know, possibly make mistakes without knowing, and there's an ethics committee that can actually hold you accountable. I mean, we got the whole 100,000 people holding us accountable, but, you know, to kind of not prevent us from making those mistakes if we don't have to, because um, we are human. Right. So I guess if there are already some municipalities that have ethics um, committees, and we know CML have some guidelines and things like that, that would be some wonderful things to look at. But I am with Hidalgo Farron. What do we bring into the table when we have this discussion? Okay. So I have, so what? Look at CML, what are the repercussions and preventatives? Um, uh, can we have the research, which I'm sure that um, our city attorney would give us? Um, so that's what I've got down at the moment. McCoy. Thank you, Mayor Peck. I'm, you know, I, I'm open to an ethics committee, but uh, I don't want it to become a gotcha committee. No. Uh, and that's that's a uh, because to Council Member Yarbrough's point, you know, when people come on and they might have not had any experience, it's not a way of like, hey, there we go, gonna get you while you're mm -hmm. uh, you're still learning some of the process here and getting up to speed. Or 
I would also like to see how much time some of these other councils spend on this. I mean, how often is the frequency of, of that? Having served on the Police Standards Board when issues came up, it was really on a case-by-case -case situation. We were brought forward and, you know, most of the time the officers didn't have any, uh, uh, they had followed procedure uh, and it was maybe you know, the ones that I can see that were the biggest problems there is somebody made a U-turn at 3 o'clock in the morning and didn't realize somebody was coming, had a car accident. You know, that type of thing in that situation. But, you know, here we have, uh, you know, what what's the sort of thing that I'd like to know maybe ahead of time, what are the typical things? Is it somebody, you know, doing something stupid like uh, driving under the influence and now we have an ethics committee or is it, I mean, what are the typical uh, issues that are brought up in this situation? And, and so I guess I'd like to maybe see if, if you're doing that sort of research, uh, uh, Eugene, uh, you know, what, what's that look like so that we couldn't have a, a conversation? Because I guess I'd want to have a little bit of an idea of what the typical scenario is than, than that. Because I, I, I wouldn't want to have it where it's, uh, you know, somebody misstepped, uh, not intending to, to Councilmember Yarbrough's point. So, um, those are all good points and, and we need to look at all of that. But what I'm wondering is if we read the research that Eugene has done, uh, and some of it is way over the top, and some of it is pretty, pretty basic, and we read this, what CML has for their um, basic standard. I don't know if it's just ethics, if it's decorum, if it's integrity, if it's all of that, uh, to see what kind of issues they have decided are worth bringing forward. I personally am not crazy about, well, I, I think I would rather have the discussion again, among all the counselors, and instead of trying to figure it out tonight. We can't. We just can't. So, uh, Counselor Martin. Yes, well, so uh, I think at least, um, Mayor Peck, that you were beginning to sort of poll the ranks and, and see if anyone was not supportive of doing that. It would be um, hard to imagine an elected official believing that being subject to an ethics committee shouldn't, is, is not the right thing. Obviously, we should hold ourselves to a standard of ethics that is well-defined. And I think that in the past, there have been instances where uh, people serving on council did not have a clear understanding of what their ethical boundaries were, and it would be very good to um, change that and have also have a good definition of the consequences of uh, ethical violations. So I am for it okay, uh, as a public meeting. Um, however, I do think that we should begin with a bit more structure. If I were the person who had proposed doing this, then I would feel obliged to come up with um, I would say more than an agenda, but a, a structure about uh, about how the conversation would proceed and what its outcomes needed to be. Okay, 
So thanks everybody for your input and uh, to Marsha Martin, Councillor Martin's uh, comment. We also need ethics on how council is run. When, when a councillor decides that someone on council is, has not been operating in an ethical manner according to the rules and regs, the ethics standards that we put out, how do they actually uh, act? Are they following procedures as well? Councillor Waters. Thanks, Mayor Peck. Um, after, when, after this, you, after you, your motion that put this, caused this to come back to us, supported by the council, uh, I did get a question about why. You know, what was, what yeah. was in your mind? Um, I said, I don't know, you know, asked the mayor. Um, but the, the, the follow-on question predictably was, so what do you know about who on this council has crossed the line? Many people. Really? Yes. Crossed lines ethically? I think so, but there's not been any standards to hold anyone Well, to. I think that's the conversation that we ought to have. Of course. Because your motion... Going without, forward, what do we do? Let me do? finish, please. Your motion, without an explanation, casts a shadow on all of us. The question is, what's the mayor talking about? Well, I don't know. Well, I don't know either. Is there a, is, has somebody done something? I don't know. Well, which of your council members up here has crossed the line? Well, I don't think anybody has recently. So if you think somebody has, I think you have an obligation to say that or to clear it up that no one up here, in your view, should be subject to an ethics complaint, or if you do, say so. Not at this point, um, because we don't have any standards to bring any, anyone to account. Well, and let's that's, choose that's the, the lowest thing. possible standard you can imagine, whatever that might be. You know, um, I'm going to leave it the way I proposed it tonight, well, that we need to have a pre-session roundtable with this council. Then my, going then, then forward, my, what would our ethics standards be? I'll try not to interrupt you, uh, even though... I know I am. Um, then I would say, I, I think you owe me and everybody up here an apology unless there's a specific assertion you're going to make. Just to, just to clarify, there, 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 there's not an implication for people up here, or if there is, say There so. is no implication. Thank you. So, we have a consensus that we will move forward in a pre-session for a roundtable on discussion. Uh, City Attorney Eugene, would you forward your research, if you have it in digital form, to all of the counselors? Sure, Mayor. I, I mean, I, I have a bunch of links. Uh, that, that would be there great. There are towns that have ethics codes or cities. They include Colorado Springs, Denver, Fountain, uh, Mountain Village. I think those are the four. And then we can certainly get the CML resources, and I can pull some things from uh, the city charter has, you know, no direct contracts for city council members, and then there is some uh, relevant language in rules of procedure. So that that's kind of what I was thinking to to get you guys started. Okay, great. And um, we can go to cml.org and pull up the uh, the recommendations there. Thank you.
This is never going to be an easy subject. So now we're at the uh, discussion of the rules of procedure. And once again, I brought this time, this up. And the reason I brought it up was that it has been a long time since the rules of procedure have been looked at. Um, if, uh, if memory serves me right, it's been about 20 years. Uh, and a lot has changed. A lot has changed in our environment, in our society, in the way we do things. And I'm hoping that if, in fact, we do at some point have an ethics committee that it can in some way, in a legal way, I suppose, be put into our uh, rules of procedure. So again, once again, um, do you, as counselors, agree that we should have another roundtable discussion about rules of procedure? Look at it. We could say it's fine. We don't, but I do think we need to look at the rules of procedure. And, and see if they're still working for us. Do we need to incorporate more or less of Robert's Rules of Order? Um, are some things out of date? Or need to be amended? So just uh, yes or no, do you think we should move forward on looking at the Rules of Procedure, Councillor Martin? Uh, thank you, Mayor Peck. Uh, I noticed that there is one red-lined item here uh, which appears to um, reflect the recent procedural change about the appointments of members of boards and commissions is uh, what's the, uh, it, it seems accurate to me, although uh, I noticed that the, that the um, boards and commissions didn't follow it and so maybe not have been, not have been universally informed about this, but is this officially, this change officially adopted um, or, or who is the source of it? Mayor and council, uh, so these were rules of procedure changes that were passed on first reading um, and then were never passed on second reading. So we believe they reflected council's uh, direction on changing the board and commission interview process. Uh, we had a staff member um, have an absence and uh, never came back for second reading. Oops. <laughs> but we all thought that it was in effect because we told the commissions to act on it. Yes, and some, I think, did go through that process or were yes. complying some did, with the rules. Some didn't. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, so I'm, um, I'm fine. I mean, I, I think it'll be a shorter pre-session. And it'll probably um, only be one that we need to have on this. Yes, but I'm, I'm fine with doing it. Okay, um, and on Rule 25, it is, on meetings, E needs to be changed or uh, amended. Well, both, that's what that means. So um, I would like to be able to bring to staff all of the motions at one time on, on the rules of procedure if we talk about it. So... Uh, Mayor Pro Tem Rodriguez. Uh, thank you, Mayor Peck. I, I reviewed <clears throat> I reviewed the twelve pages of rules and procedure this morning. Um, I did find one typo in there, which was was silly. Uh, and I'm like, oh, interesting. I, I, I actually particularly I do notice the the Friday morning thing you're talking about, twenty five e I believe mm -hmm. it is. Uh, that we don't really do that anymore, and so maybe that doesn't need to be in there. And so as a cleanup. 
uh, as a way to maybe clean up some things that are still in there that don't need to be in there, I, I would agree with the pre-session. But overall, I will tell you that I don't have a problem with anything particular in the rules and procedures. So, I but yes, I'm open to having a roundtable and catching what maybe other you know different eyes see that I don't. Okay, it looks like that's a go. I think it's good for us to all look at this together anyway because um, it, it's just if anyone has, especially new people, if they have any questions about uh, one of the rules, it'd be a good time to just sit and discuss it. So, Councilor Waters. I just let's, uh, so, so did we resolve that we're going to have a conversation about a look at the rules and whatever cleanup. I think everybody, fine. there that's was a, a That's consensus. okay with me. Okay. Uh, so what are we going to do? Are we now going to deal with this, what's in the red line part of this? That went I don't think we can do that tonight on a, at a study session. You have to give me a second. Mm -hmm. Well, could we get some clarification? Since uh, it's in the agenda. I mean, we can't, it's on the agenda and we can't talk about it? No, no, we can talk about it, but as far as making... I'm not talking about making a decision no, or voting. No, a motion. I'm not, well, I'm not talking about making motions or voting. I'm talking oh, okay. about clarification. Oh, of course. They did go through first reading, and I, it has to come back. I get that. But I could, I could use a refresher on uh, the meaning, and I, Eugene, this may or may not be, maybe Don, really, a question for Don. Um, the... Um, it is F5. Which rule? Uh, 27 on boards? For boards and commissions. Yep. So staff's thought on process was if there were no further changes to the rule of procedure, we just bring this back for second reading since it was passed on first reading. If there were additional changes to the rules of procedure from city council's conversation or other direction, then we'd bring back the whole thing for first and second. Um, so, so clarification on meaning should occur if, when it's here for second reading as opposed to tonight? As part of the package of changes, <laughs> it's a little confusing why we would have it in here tonight if, if we are... We are just bringing the most current version of first reading past rules of procedure. And I'm... And my, so the question is, what does F5 in Rule 27, what's your interpretation of that? Oh, let, me, let me make... I, I don't want I'm not, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I've interpreted this in a particular way that may be different than others up here, um, but clarifying what we intended with these changes is going to be real important. And if we can, you know, if we want to wait to do that second reading, but my, I've always had the impression we'd rather not be making changes in second readings as opposed to first readings. But I thought I understood it until the process unfolded this year, and I thought maybe I don't understand it. So I, I could benefit from a tutorial on exactly what this means as it lays out. And I, and is Don back there? Oh, she is back there. I didn't even see Don back there. Hi, Don.
Mayor and Council Don Quintana, City Clerk. I'm um, pulling out my memory yeah. cells on our conversation. Yeah, me too. When we made these revisions, I believe what we were um, discussing here was before we switched to this method where the boards were helping to interview or pre-interview, um, you all, we helped you create a questionnaire and, yep. and sort of a rubric that we asked the boards to use that rubric when they're mm -hmm. interviewing. And so this is trying to capture that you must use this rubric and, and bench bench your decisions or your recommendations off of something that has some sort of structure, trying to give them structure. And what are they recommending? And sorry, say you that said, again. And, and their recommendations. Right, and then they, they have been giving a memo that says here are our recommendations we recommend. All qualified or all eligible applicants I don't remember our exact wording, but um, that would all be eligible, and then you all would whittle that down. Okay. We'll, we'll talk more about that, I guess, than on second reading, because that it, it, I get that. I, it was my, my understanding when we put this together that, that unless we decided we wanted to add to, if boards or commissions had more, more qualified mm -hmm. folks than, than they had seats, they had five people and they only had three seats and they thought all five were good, they'd recommend five people. Five people, correct. Sure. That's what I'm saying. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and that the council would interview those who were recommended. All right. five. That's not what happened in this last cycle. That is what we've yes. been doing. Yeah. That is council, what we've been this doing. This council, as I recall, interviewed every applicant. I got a, I got a packet with all every single applicant. Right. I think this council interviewed every applicant, not just those who were recommended by boards and commissions. That's, I can double that's check my that. Question. Okay, yeah. I will double check yeah, with Michelle. Do, that's, but I that's believe that's my question and my concern. I don't believe what happened in this last cycle reflects what we agreed to here or what the intent was. And I understand. I'm. I will double check with Michelle. I appreciate that feedback. I think um, part of the challenge, if I can find a delicate way to say that, is it's difficult for boards to come out and say, "We don't like Joan. We really don't think she's a good fit." put that on paper in a public packet is a hard hard pill to swallow. So I think they're trying to find ways to say, these are all great people and we're really glad they have all applied. Um, how do we get that feedback to, to council in a way that is not damaging, defaming, and all of those things? So I think there's some nuance there that we need to work through. Um, some of that happened. I thought that this last round we did only give you, I, my understanding was all the boards were pretty broad for this reason, and that you did up and end up interviewing everybody because everybody felt the need to be more broad. All right. Yeah, we can we can discuss further, and I and I will do I will check with Michelle because I might I could be wrong, but so basically, are you saying that that the boards felt uneasy recommending that this may not be a, a good way to handle this? I think it's very. Um, it's a difficult position to put them in to say, we really like you two, but you're not this one, not so much. And put that on paper. It just puts them in an un. Telling me either. Right, uh, not a great position, I think. So maybe okay. there's a different way for us to do that. We have felt that that memo needs to be transparent and needs to be yeah. on the record. But so we we think that maybe the refinement there might be helpful as well. Mayor and Council, I was advising PZ this past year, and I know they talked about this in a public meeting 
but especially for the incumbent members, yeah, uh, having that discussion in public about what they thought of their qualifications was hard. Okay, a little, little awkward. Or awkward. Mm -hmm. So, sure. You know, it's it's only going to let me go to the next one. Let's see if it works. Yep, you got it. I would just say, not just this last cycle. What when we when when a council sits here and goes through ballot after ballot, names come up and down. Anybody who's watching, if if people are concerned about embarrassing folks, that's a good way for people to be embarrassed based on what what we do as we're casting ballots. The whole point of the process, I thought, was to make it more efficient and to avoid the very thing that happened here, especially when it came to LHA applicants, right? Going through multiple ballots and, and publicly voting people up or down. This, I'm looking at you, but it's really, this, it's us. That mm -hmm. did that. Uh, and, I, and I thought we'd have crafted a process to keep that from happening and to make best use. By the, by the way, feedback I've always had from staff is they, they preferred the opportunity to do interviews with boards or commission members to do a more in-depth interview and then to make recommendations. People thought that was empowering. What what happened in this last cycle was just the opposite, in my opinion. Agreed. I do believe, thank you, Councilmember Waters. I, my understanding is the boards are happy to be involved and they're excited about the opportunity to have their recommendations heard and, and to be able to provide those. Um, I think just a little nuance in how we how we do that. Um, if I might, I think the clinker where, where the process changes is we talked about a recommendation of, of them just providing their recommendation. There are five candidates, all are great. We recommend these three. And then council, you know, going off the board's recommendations. Um, but I, if I recall right, I'll have to go back and listen to the discussion. There was discussion amongst council about whether that was somebody could be you know, if the board could push somebody aside that council was interested in in that mm -hmm. in that process, and there was some concern there, if I remember right. So, mm -hmm. we can certainly refine and discuss more. I will look. I will talk with Michelle about this last round. I also, talk about um, the way we uh, the way we app appoint them. Maybe we shouldn't do that process in public. With maybe we should email you our. Do we have to do that? That's in rules of procedure, Mayor. Ah, well, maybe that's what we need to look at. <laughs> maybe the way we appoint them is is embarrassing as well. And we've thought about trying to streamline, you know, we were going to look at some ways for you to vote, not on paper, but on a touchpad or something, so it would be faster and not as cumbersome. That might help, but it doesn't make it not public. So that's something we can discuss. Councillor Martin. Thank you, Mayor Peck. Um, uh, first of all, we could put in the application a question, are, are, are you willing when interviewing new applicants to this board to give a positive up or down rec recommendation? And then that would be a qualifier and that would solve that problem. Um, I want to ask if we are willing, um, one of the boards to which I am the liaison was concerned about um, the lack of diversity among the uh, people on the board. And I think everyone is aware that that has been a problem for a long time and we have not yet succeeded in 
making many inroads in, in that. Um, and uh, one of the board members and I and uh, Carmen Ramirez had a discussion about specific means that could be taken. And one of them included uh, amendments to the application process and amendments to um, the, re the requirements to apply. So would it be appropriate to, uh, to include the results of that discussion? Because Carmen summarized them very nicely. So would it, would it be a, a good, uh, acceptable to, to include that in the discussions of other council rules and procedures? Yeah, really, that, that would be up to you all, uh, Councilmember Martin. Um, I do know that one of those requirements is a charter. So board eligibility is in the, in the city's charter. So some of those change, if we're talking about do you, needing to be a qualified mm -hmm. elector, that would require a, a vote of the people, people of Longmont to mm -hmm. tell us whether or not they like to keep that requirement. And that's a, that's a big one. That's an important one, I think, in the, in the discussions I've heard about. But up to you. If you'd like to bring that back for discussion, we're, this is a long, I've been involved in many discussions to this end about how to make the application simpler. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of criteria. There's uh, a lot of qualifications for board members. So mm -hmm. um, we're, we're happy to do whatever council would like us to do. Okay, thank you. Um, I had another question just then, and uh, maybe I don't. Okay. okay. Yep. So thank you. These are hard, uh, hard questions, and I know that in rules and procedures, we're going to have to have more, bring things to Eugene, you know, legally. So thanks, everyone. We are now at Mayor and Council comments. Do we have any comments? Councilor Waters. Thanks, Mayor Peck. <clears throat> the mayor and I had a chance to enjoy uh, Saturday afternoon, um, the uh, Chinese New Year. Susie, were you there? Susie was there. Oh, I didn't see I, you. Well, I, I got there at 3.30. It was a, it a was full house. It was, it was such a fabulous afternoon and program. Um, so I, I just want to give, you know, kudos to the Asian Pacific Association of Longmont, LMAC, everybody who was involved in planning. And um, I have to say, I, it, I think this is also a product of the, uh, the Silver Creek Leadership Academy. Uh, they, it, it, what what uh, their advisor does, uh, what the kids do is, is pretty remarkable, remarkable year in and year out. And this was another stunning example of their leadership, uh, their, their sponsors' work, and the support of their faculty in the community. So, well done. Seeing no others, um, I am leaving tomorrow through Friday for the transporta yearly transportation trip to D.C., to talk to uh, our representatives and congressmen. Um, I also uh, would like to say a thank you, a kudo to, and I forget his last name, but Matt in our transportation department, who has been out there chipping ice uh, at intersections and having, uh, making our intersections safer in our sidewalks. So uh, I want to give a call out to him. Seeing no others, do we have any city manager remarks, Harold? Um, 
Mayor Council. Eugene? No comments, Mayor. I'm going to revert back. I forgot one thing. Uh, this, the county had a meeting with the cities and representatives in Boulder County about uh, the Broncos dollars. And they brought up, there was a person from the, Den the Bronco management staff that was there to answer questions. And what we learned was that the letter that they sent out was very vague and almost too vague. So um, myself, Harold, and possibly Eugene are going to be on a meeting with this gentleman next Thursday to try to make sure that we all understand what needs to be done with these dollars. So going forward, I think we just need to put a halt until we understand what we can use them for. Um, Councillor Waters. So um, the Bron So who from the Broncos gets to decide that? It's our, it was our money. No, the, he didn't get to decide it, sir. I think uh, w he was there to explain it. And his explanations were a little bit more defined than the letter we received. So we are going to have a conversation to make sure we understand that before we just, move Just further. to be clear, the, the money that came back to us is money that was collected from Longmonters' as taxes? No. Sort of. It, it, yeah, where'd it come from? Well, it was when... It, yeah, when when they sold it was the Brolins. Yeah, well, we're part of when they Long, sold it to Empower. We're we're part of the recreation yeah. district. We were taxed just like an RTD. I district. agree, but it, it uh, was explained differently well, than just tax is coming back. But uh, however you want to call it, I just want to well, say that I, we are. So uh, so, uh, so I, I won't. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be quiet. Well, as somebody, uh, some unknown person from the Broncos organization. He's the one that is. Dealing with the money. They don't get to decide what we're going to do with, no. with money that comes to us. That's not, that's not what it's about. That's Jim? not what it's about. Jim? Jim Golden, Chief Financial Officer. And I wasn't at the meeting, so I'm just going to speculate. I don't think it was anyone who was with the Broncos. It was probably with the, the Metro Stadium District. This is where the money came from, was the Metro Stadium District, okay. which did collect sales taxes. Right from all of the entities, um, you know, within the defined area, which they all received a rebate based on a percentage of the sale of the Broncos. Right. But my guess is if they, the letter did come from the, uh, the stadium district, and yes, it was vague, uh, as you recall, I think right. we saw that letter. So uh, that's probably a representative from the stadium district that was okay. making that statement. J just for the well, record, yes. okay, th they did collect. It was sales tax. Yes. And they used that to? They did the bond issue for building the stadium, and they collected, um, you know, actually they collected enough to, to uh, pay off the debt early. Yeah. So. so they used our tax money to build the biggest capital project, invest in the biggest capital project probably in Denver in a long time, right? That's a big capital project, the stadium. Right. There's also been a lot of RTD expenses. Well, I, I get that. <laughs> since I, then. I, I, but I also heard, I had cut wind of this, that somebody from the district was saying, you can't use that money for a capital expense. I'm going to say, really? That's what they used it for. They used it for a capital expense, and they want to suggest we can't. So I'm going to say, that's thing. that. I'm going to throw a flag on that. It makes absolutely no sense. I can't believe that's legitimate. The only other thing I'll add is that the, what were, was the, the vague 
the direction they gave us was coming from the district uh, resolutions and such for when they made the transaction 20 years ago or so. And so I think it's just what was written into that, um, and I'll have to pull out what that was. But that's where they're coming back with uh, needs to go towards youth activities. So, so it, it had to do with them when Roland sold it to Empower. Right, but the yeah, but the agreement was 20 years back right. when they they made that deal. If the Bolins sell the pro, right. the the, the um, the franchise. franchise and they want to include the stadium in it then this is going to go back from that sale right. this amount's going to go, some amount's going to go back based on the amount of the sale I just want to make it clear that it's real clear they taxed Longmonters yeah. To, yeah. to invest in a capital project and and we're talking about doing the same thing they did if depending on what we do with that money is invest in a potential capital project Okay, can I have a motion to adjourn? Second. Second. <laughs> so it's been moved by Councilor McCoy, seconded by Councilor Hidalgo Fearing. Let's vote. All those in favor? Aye. 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 We are adjourned. <laughs>